Sedge, how was Las Vegas? It was amazing. And I'll say that because when we uh, signed up for it, we were all, and this was the going theme amongst all vendors there. It was, we didn't know what to expect, right? Because they're having spikes out there with the Delta variant, and we didn't know if people were going to show up and stuff like that. So I'll say it again. It was amazing because the first day, check this out. This is how I gauge trade shows. When the clock starts ticking and I start talking to people, it was 9 a.m. The first time I got a, a hint where I wasn't talking <laughs> or demoing, I turned around, looked at my phone, and it was 1220. I went, oh, my God, that just slipped by like that. And then I started going again, and I didn't look up. And this was what's really weird. I'm kind of sensing talking to this guy, and there was like two or three people around the Domino Station. And then all of a sudden, I started looking around. I thought it was about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I turn around, and I start seeing them put tops up on, the, uh, and all the, on, the, on top of the MFTs. And I'm looking around. I'm going, they're just standing around. And I look over to my right, and that's where Garrett was doing Contoro. And he's talking to people. All of a sudden... My buddy Clint comes over, and I go, hey, what time is it? He goes, 30 seconds to 5 o'clock. Oh, wow. I was like, bam, did that day slip by fast. And you know what? I kept going, and I kept talking to this guy. I, it, I get jazzed. So the second day rolled around. I'm not going to go day by day, but second day rolled around. Kind of the same thing, third day. Well, I mean, I mean technically you are, because you just talked about the first day, and now you just said the second day. Whatever. So, <laughs> God. <laughs> He's still still kind of pumped from the show, and I've been home two days. But what was yeah, cool? I can tell. What was cool was, uh, I started talking to a few people, and they said, "Dude, you guys are always busy at this booth, at the Fest Tool booth. If you look around, we're pleasantly surprised with the traffic too, but you guys are just smoking busy." So, a couple things I want to call out. The best part is I got to hang out with Alan uh, Neary from Rubio Monaco. He oh, came nice. by. My buddy Pat and Rick and Dennis from Sawstop, we hung out. They came by. They gave me a pair. Listen to this. You know how everybody hands out hats and T-shirts and pens and pencils? Sawstop? They gave you two Sawstops. No way. Check this <laughs> oh, out. Okay. You know what I got? Sawstop socks. Say it five times fast. Sawstop <laughs> <laughs> socks. They're so cool. So I got Sawstop socks, and I'm a happy camper. The, the everybody needed. If you were to wear the saw stop socks, and then put your foot into the blade, would it still stop? Oh, in a heartbeat. I think if they okay. were smart, that they would hand out saw stop band aids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be good marketing. What a right? good job, man. Yeah, right? the band aid you'll never need. The exactly. you'll never need. So it was it was cool. It's the first time I had traveled in about fifteen months. Uh, Goodness gracious, I got out there. I just booked my tickets today. I'll be at JLC in the Fest Tool booth. Oh, I'm so jealous. And I'm getting stoked because guess what I do after JLC? I get in the car. Vacation. I get in the car and I go north with Gil. We go get a good meal at the Weather Vane in Kittery. And then I go to see my sister for four days and my brother-in-law, Ralph. And Annie, I miss you guys. I haven't seen them in almost two years. 
And uh, boy, JLC. Well, hey, let let's let's be clear for the listeners. So I asked Sedge about Vegas, and I was talking about AWFS. So for those of you that don't know, AWFS was going on in Vegas, and it's a bi-yearly thing, right? So it's AWFS in Vegas, yep. and then the following year it's IWF in Atlanta. Correct? Yes, sir. And they're the biggest okay. woodworking fairs. They used to combine them. And because uh, they used to be the IWF, AWFS, but they just said, hey, it's getting confusing. So they split them up years ago. AWFS is in Vegas, IWF in Atlanta. And uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, I met so many cool people. I met a couple of teachers out in California. Uh, their kids are watching all the, the lives and the Instagrams. And they're just digging it, man. And I was just like, wow, this is a lot of fun. Uh, Brent was on uh, the track saw station. He, he he was covered up the whole time, and Garrett and I were covered up the whole time. It was amazing. I uh, it was a blur. A local and I, when I got home on Saturday night, I think I went to bed at five o'clock. I was exhausted. Well, well, I just want to make it clear that this is the first weekend that we haven't hung out in like four months. I know, and I miss you. Well, when I Nicole, when, when, yeah, Nicole said Marianne texted and canceled for this week, and I was like, "Oh my God, what do we do?" It was weird, you know. <laughs> oh God, it was. Uh, you know what? I I think Jason, you said to me uh, the week before. You know how I was kicking and stomping. I was Mister Grumpy. I got to go back out on the road. And then, and then you said, oh, wait, you get in talking with people. And Marianne said the same thing to me. Oh, my God. After that first day, I called Marianne. I said, you guys were right. I needed, oh, I, I, I needed to get I back knew, out there. I knew. And I, you're just a social person. And I know that that's one of the things that you love about, you know, this job. And when you were telling me, you're like, oh, I got to travel again. I'm like, are you serious? You're going to be there for 15 minutes and you're going to be like, this is fantastic. Okay, Ben, hold on. I got to admit, Jason was right. I, I, just, I don't, I don't understand why that's a surprise. The rare, the rare occasion. occasion. Please. <laughs> I so wish both of you were there. Says even a broken clock is right twice a day. So. <laughs> I never heard that one. That's a goodie. <laughs> hey, broken clock, what's up? <laughs> Amazing. Exactly. Now, there says, you go. This you. was, what was the show? Was it, it wasn't for vendors, right? It was for nope. like the public? Yeah, it's uh, it's for the public, but <clears throat> at the end of the first day, we had a little get together afterwards to talk about the day for about five, 10 minutes. And somebody says, yeah, hey, it was probably about, you know, what was the percentage of pros versus enthusiasts? And uh, I say, guys, I was talking to 90, 95% pros. It's a professional show for professional cabinet makers and furniture makers. And boy, I'll tell you, it was, I get so many great ideas for content coming out of that. Like today, I did a, a festival sedge about the domino because everybody's going, what are these mackins on here? You know, on your boards. And I, it's, it's, it's typical woodworking. It's how to reference the machine to the material. And you always mark the board if you're going to even reference the material to a machine. So 
it was cool. And that was uh, the Festool Sedge today. And I always get a ton of content out of there. And uh, it was pretty cool. Hey, and I will tell you, a lot of people out there, I was talking to them. And uh, <clears throat> you know who they mentioned, Ben? Jason. They, they mentioned Jason Bent. Everybody's saying, hey, uh, we follow you. And we also uh, follow Jason Bent. And I always would say, hey, the real guy to follow is Ben Marshall from Ben Marshall Design. Hey yo! Hey yo! Oh, <laughs> look, I knew he was gonna finish. do that. That's a setup. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Sorry, Ben. So, I wish you guys were out there with us or with me because, uh, but you know, the thing behind the scenes of a trade show, it's a boatload of setup, and we tore that booth down in two hours, so everybody could make plane flights home. I stayed the night. I flew home Saturday, but it is a ton of behind the scenes work. And man, I'm I'm exhausted to this to this. I'll I'll definitely go to IWF next year for sure. Oh yeah, I I just drive down there. I think that would be a really cool experience because you can, you really get to see what people's perceptions are of the of the of the brand and like, you know, some of those perceptions are right, and I would say that most of them are probably wrong because unless somebody walks into a dealer and tries out one of the tools, they're really not going to have an appreciation for what it does. And so, and like you said, Sedge earlier, that <clears throat> that it you got so much content ideas from it because you're, you're seeing you're getting the pulse of what yeah. people are you know of, of what it is. And so yeah, it, I mean they're all there they're all there in person, like asking the questions and reminding you of things. That's and, a good point. Yeah. And it also kind of helps keep you on edge, Sedge, because you're able to see like okay, what are the trends that contractors are dealing with right now? Oh yeah, and how can how can our line of tools or, you know, help them, you know, kind of get over whatever problems they're having. So, I, I, I mean, I would love to do something like that. Just, I mean, even to just help set up and just listen to what people are saying. Mm -hmm. I think that would be really interesting just to be a for fly sure. on the wall, hey. you know. Oh, for sure. Hey, Ben, I would love to hear about your new. So, I, I think, you know, we're kind of just riffing a little bit on uh, what we're, what we've been up to or whatever but i'd like to hear a little bit about your new motorcycle oh my yeah God, man oh, oh, jesus it's awesome i love it it look it looks really nice i've considered it multiple times i, have, now. I haven't seen the one. picture of it yet he's got that harley davidson electric bike what i'm wearing the, I'm wearing the shirt right now oh no it's, kidding um, yeah it's really sharp I mean, I, next not the shirt. Next podcast, I'll just I'll just have it in my room. That way, you guys can see it. <laughs> um, it's awesome, man. It, it is such uh, such a well built bike, and um, you know Harley Davidson spent five years building it, and prototyping, and researching it, and bringing it out to the public, and having people test ride it, and then give them feedback, and they would go back and make design changes, and it's just a it's a great bike like like i i just i still can't get over it i was it it stormed today i'm pretty sure the storm that you guys got a few days ago but so i couldn't go out and ride today i, w I was going to go ride it all day today but i had to change it to tomorrow oh. but um i'm glad you didn't probably what's the what's the range on that the podcast again <laughs> so so i jim lives about an hour and a half away or two hours and so I, I use going to her house as kind of like a metric to figure out what it is. And so for me, for my body weight, 
<clears throat> I get 95 miles going 70, 70 miles an hour, which is a lot for an electric bike. Um, and then if I were to just kind of put around in the city, I would get about 130 to 150 miles. And so, like, whenever I go to school, that's, uh, that's 50 miles round trip, I think. So I would only have to charge it every other day. But, um, I mean, for, for electric bike standards, it's, the range is really great. Uh, compared to my last bike, it's even better. But, uh, man, just the fit, the finish, the look of it. Every time I sweet. every time I stop and charge, um, for one, people are, are amazed that it's an electric bike. They're like, "Is that thing electric?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And they're like, "Who makes it?" I'm like, "Harley." Or they're like, "Holy!" You know, just explicit as left and right. And that's the thing that really catches people off is that people didn't know that Harley made an electric. Yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm in love with it. It's it's definitely taking up a lot of my time, and and I'm making content for that and that's been going really well and um just kind of getting my my fingers deep into the electric motorcycle community and hey yo this is a family podcast <laughs> it's awesome <laughs> and I, I love it absolutely love it so <clears throat> i uh before we get into the topic for today which i'm really really excited about and uh, well i i'm actually before we even get into that i i do I've been researching stuff that I, a project that I have coming up, but you go ahead and say whatever it is you need to say. Before we get into the main topic, I wanted to cover this. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, no, I'm just saying, I, I'm glad that we have kind of put this on the back burner and waited until Sedge got back because tonight's topic could not be more perfect based off another podcast that I was listening to that like sets up for this perfectly. And, and I'll talk about that a little bit, but um, what's before I, I was going to talk about a little bit about the bathroom stuff that I've been working on, but I want to hear about the project you got coming up. Yeah. So, um, Jen, she's, she lives in, so Jen's my girlfriend. She lives in a, a brand new condominium. She's only been there for like five or six months. And so the bathroom that is in her room, she left it, um, the frame open because she wanted to put a sliding door. <clears throat> and so I've been looking up, um, what kind of wood that I want to use to make it. It's a, a barn slotting door. She already has the hardware for it. I just need to make it. It's going to be a five panel door. Um, and so, I mean, obviously, and she, it's going to be painted white. So, you know, my initial thought was poplar. Um, but also well, let me let me clarify something when you say five panel door do you mean there's going to be five, five panels, panels within side of it yeah okay yeah so so i guess the thing that i want to opine from y'all is the materials that i should probably make this out of um and like i really just want to go really simple and just use dominoes for it and just make some grooves and dados in, in the rails and styles just because i want simplicity because I have to dry fit it, break it apart, put it in my Toyota Prius, drive it to Richmond, and then assemble it in her garage, paint it, and all this other stuff. So I'm not going to be in my shop whenever I put this thing together. So like it, it doesn't. I don't. I can't use a really soft wood because I don't want it to get banged up and dented between, you know, having to, to transport it pretty much. So it's it's got to so be. You a think you can source inch and a half ultralight MDF? 
you wouldn't be worried about it getting banged up along the way? I mean, I guess I could, you know, not even a little it. bit. No. And not to mention the type of finish that you use on it is going to make it, you know, 20 times more durable. That won't help you going from your house to her place. That's but, what I'm concerned about. I mean, you can just stack the pieces because you're talking, you'd have two pieces on the sides that are the full length of mm-hmm. the door. And then you'd have your seven cross sections yeah, um, or six cross sections, however many it would, would work out to be. And then a, a you know, a quarter inch panel. Yeah. Um, or half inch I panel, whatever you decide to use. I wouldn't worry too much about banging it up. You can wrap it in uh, a yeah. moving blank. It's easy enough and get it there. And it's just you handling it properly. And what can I ask you? You said poplar, but we yeah. why were you why were you questioning that? Just because um because it's gonna be painted and I want a tight grain. Okay. Um Yeah. And so that's why I went yeah, poplar that's because that's maple. Maple, maple would be a choice for me, but I like Jason's thought on uh, ultralight MDF or you know MDF. If you can get if it, if you can get it, but holding screws now, for the hardware is going to be tough on that too for the MDF. Yeah, but yeah. The, but those are going to be bolts that go all the way through the door. Oh, they are. They're going to have nuts on the backside. Yeah. Okay. So the only reason I brought that up for me, if I was thinking of a hardwood to use, it would be soft maple or poplar just because they're both relatively inexpensive, Poplar being your your best option. Yeah. Um, and you don't really need a lot of it. And if I was using, if it's gonna be an inch and a half thick, then I would probably go with a half inch panel, um, where in that case, I would either use MDF, MDF yeah. or some sort of decent decent quality ply, but MDF paints so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, Prime it. I brought up the inch and a half uh, ultralight MDF because Mike Coffee actually just made a really, really nice modern uh sliding door with this really cool chevron pattern on it uh which he i think he did on his cnc machine but um the ultralight mdf it's you know it's it's obviously lighter than regular mdf and if you can source inch and a half i just think that would be a really good option and it will it will paint flawlessly mm-hmm. um i don't know how much that inch and a half would cost and with the price of poplar i just don't really know if it's like poplar is not that expensive. I just get a couple, you know, long boards of eight quarter poplar, mill it down to inch and a half, and and just call you're it gonna, good. You're gonna paint it there, and yeah, are, I'm you gonna gonna, have to. are you gonna are you gonna spray it or are you gonna roll and tip it? I'm gonna roll and tip it because I don't have a sprayer. Yeah, I use a foam. I use uh, a foam and tip it with a brush. I, would, I don't want to shell out five hundred bucks just to spray it on. Yeah, I mean you could use it later. I don't paint that much. I, I much prefer natural over paint. I just like to I like to spend your money. <laughs> yeah, I know because you spent a lot of mine this last year. Oh, that's not true. You still haven't done half the stuff that Marianne wants you to do. <laughs> hey, is that a butterfly? Yeah. <laughs> but so my bathroom. Yeah, your bathroom. I haven't I haven't looked at your stories in the last week or so. So, um. Oh, wait, Ben, do you have the Domino 500 or 700? I have the 500, and that's why I was asking you if I could use the mm. 700. And you're like, oh, I'll get stuff coming up. So, Well, I do. I'm actually going to use I'll have to. I'm going to have to double up on, on uh, 10 mil Dominoes. Hey, just come back down. We'll build it together. Yeah, you guys should. It's not that long. Oh, the three of us could. Yep, that'd be wicked cool. We can get hammered drunk and record a podcast. Oh. And we could we could paint it here. Yep, with the sprayer. Yeah, and then you could just uh, 
uh, tip it when you get in there if it gets any marks or anything, which you shouldn't. Because wrap it all if up, you wrap you can it, transport it back. Easy enough. And did I mention? Did I mention that we could get hammered drunk? Mm. I don't drink. <laughs> you don't drink water. Only on days. I only drink on days that I'm. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right. So I want to. I'm going to briefly talk uh, talk about the the bathroom stuff that I've been doing, and then let's get into the topic. But. Um, so the bathroom is coming to a close and like glass is getting installed for the doors on Thursday. Uh, Sedge, that reminds me this weekend. Uh, we're thinking about doing a barbecue down here at the house and inviting some more people over. Um, if we can maybe do the, the, the ceiling texture. Yep, I'm all I'll in. Have everything ready to go I can for do it. that. Um, but I got the vanity like complete minus the finish and I, I changed what I was gonna do with the finish. I'm gonna be using uh, Rubio Monaco cotton white. Oh wow! Uh, on this to keep that light color of the white oak. But holy cow, did this vanity turn out mm. absolutely gorgeous? Did you post it? And yeah, it's in my. I did. I posted some stories about it. Yeah. The stories are probably gone. I'll send it to you. Really but nice. I saw them. If you you did see. Oh it. yeah, you did a great job so, on there, dude. The, my whole idea behind this and using the riffs on white oak was I wanted all that straight grain and those straight lines. And I mean, it came out exactly how I wanted it. And I talked about this in my stories. Like I actually sat there for like five minutes looking at it and I was so happy and pleased with the result, even though this project has been way longer than I expected and I've wanted to be done for weeks. But it was one of those things where you like, you look at something, like I don't reflect very much on like projects that I do. I kind of just build it, I finish it. By the end of it, I'm so tired of it because you know I hit the finish process and all that. But man, I looked at this thing for like five minutes and I was just blown away. Like I was like, this, this is beautiful and this is why I love woodworking. <laughs> and, yeah. and then the only thing I could think about is like, oh, I can't believe I didn't document any of this. But uh, I will for my for my son's vanity, which we're going to build basically the same thing. But I mean, I'm just I'm like over the moon excited. I think the only things I have left to do is I have some paint touch up spots. I've got to put the finish on the vanity. We decided to go another route with that storage area. Ben, I know you saw it when you were here, that little nook in the corner. Yeah. I was going to build a storage for it, but Nicole and I decided to go with something different. We put a, we're going to put a couple other things there, but it's it's so close to the end, and I'm like. I'm just ready to be back out in the shop because when I was doing the, when I was uh, doing the like the drawer fronts and finishing the doors, I, I was just so happy to be out here, and it, and it reminded me of like, you know, how much I, as much as I do enjoy like learning so much about the the rent home renovation side of it, um, I I just miss being out in the shop. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like it makes me appreciate the shop even more because I come out to the shop and it's like I'm in the zone. That that that's my space. You know what I mean? I'm comfortable. Yep. Um, I really want to see it. And I don't it, know man. if it's still in the stories. It's not. Well, I'll, 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 I'll send you some the, uh, pictures of it. The, but the drawer fronts came out excellent, dude. Thank you. Yeah, that was like one continuous piece that I just cut down into five mm -hmm. and then like sequentially matched them. And oh man, they just, I did four millimeter reveals everywhere. I actually built your domino doors. Yep. Oh, cool. I didn't catch that. I did. I didn't catch that. That's yeah, cool. I made, I, I did the domino doors and... What's the domino um, door? I will tell you that it's, 
So you, you route the groove just like you would for anything else, right? But instead of doing a, um, Stuck. a tongue on, you, you're basically just using dominoes for everything. Well, when that happens though, you have at the top, you have that groove that comes out and it's visible, which normally wouldn't be visible because the style, right? Or the rail, excuse me. The rail would have uh, the mortise on it that would fit into the groove. So it would, it would cover that. Well, this doesn't. So what Sedge does is he, and you did a video on this on the Festival USA page. Yeah, right? I did. On the domino doors. Because yeah. I've had a million people write me messages and say, are you going to do a video on this? And I'm like, actually, Sedge did one on Festival USA. And I did it showing on, how he does this. And I did it on Sedge Tool as well with Big D. Did you also? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, I like the way it looks. And to be honest with you, it was the the easiest way to get great results. Yep, it's a shake a flat panel. I mean, it door. really was. It's a shake a flat panel door, man. It was. It was. Yeah, but like not having to worry about cutting the the grooves and the tongues and the. I mean, I was just like, and then trying to get it fit just perfectly. It's like no, I just did dominoes on everything and it was good to go. Like, <laughs> and then I just plunged a domino into the top and the bottom and, and cut, uh, I I trimmed it back with a flush cut saw. Um, My brain really can't picture this right now. I need to see this. So, okay, rails, right? Or styles, styles. rails. Yep. Dominoes, right? Yeah. That's how you attach it. Yeah. But you have the groove that goes all the way from the bottom to the top. So if you were to look at the top of the, the, the door, you have a notch. you'd see that groove. Yep. So the way that he, after he glues it up with the dominoes, then he takes a domino and plunges it into that, that portion on the seam and then puts another domino in there and then just trims it flush. So that the domino is exposed, like you can see the, it's in, the domino. I'll send you a picture of it later. It's an, yeah, it's an, in, it's an, it's an infill. So the way I like to teach people about it is think about production, right? And you don't have to do these stop mm. grooves through the whole thing, you know, with a plunge router, because you can just run a ton of this railing style stock have it sitting on the side of your shop, and anytime you need to make a door, you just take a quick measurement, boom, boom, boom. You can build doors all day long, and you can have pre-milled rail and style stock with that groove. You don't have to think about it, and then you go back and you do the infill with an eight millimeter domino, and it's a cover, because people don't want to see that notch. And when you do that, mm -hmm. it's kind of cool looking, and I do it with different, uh, yeah. I'll put a Sippo mahogany, if I'm doing like a, a maple door, I'll put a Sippo mahogany domino in there, so you have contrasting woods. And mm -hmm. it's kind of a cool effect, you don't compromise the 6x40 domino in there either. So The funny thing is, is that almost nobody would probably ever even look at that and notice it. Yeah. You know, like for me, the only time you can see it is if I look down and I open up the cabinet door, and it clears the vanity top. Otherwise, you don't even know it's there. And if it was an upper cabinet, unless you're really short, and I can, I'm looking up at the, at the, you know, the bottom of the cabinet door, like you never even know. Yeah, you can bang. You know what I mean? You can bang doors so quick with quick measurements because you don't have to. Oh, yeah. You don't have to compensate for the tenon length. Exactly. And I use 50 millimeters. So much easier. I use 50 millimeter stock, so I just measure yeah. what my overall door is gonna be, subtract 100, and that's my rail size. Yep, it's, it's so quick. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did fifty millimeter as well. Um, yeah. Oh, there yeah, goes the metric. It, there we go. Pop hey goes the metric. <laughs> yeah. 
Mm. All right, so let's uh, let me kind of set the stage for this week's topic. So this is one of my topics, and we actually identified it during last week's episode. Um, but I think we all thought it was such a good topic. I know it said you wanted to be a part of this, and the topic is is the chasing perfection, uh, and how more specifically how chasing this absolute perfection. Uh, can hinder what you're doing and make you much more unhappy in the shop. Um, and like for me personally, I know that one of the things I want to share is kind of like how I go about it now and how it's actually changed for me and, and my enjoyment for woodworking. Um, but it doesn't just have to be chasing perfection for, you know, like trying to get everything perfectly square. I'm talking about like chasing perfection on a tool, a tool setup, a cut, a measuring device uh just whatever it is but the the urge and the feeling of focusing so much on needing to get everything absolutely perfect in woodworking um and the reason why i, I said earlier that i was glad that that our episode kind of got pushed off to the side uh, to record this was i was listening to um woodshop life with uh guy and and I think that's what it's called, Woodshop Life. Um, guy and we. Guy, guy uh, we, and... Um, oh, why am I forgetting forgetting the third name right now? Um, I'll, I'll remember it. But um, one of the guys called in, and the question that they covered was, I mean, absolutely perfect for this topic. And so I'm going to tell you what that question was, and I'm not going to I'm not going to respond to it yet because I, I kind of want to uh, kick it over to one of you guys to to start hearing your guys' thoughts on this topic. But basically, the question was: is the person wrote a question in and it said they were having issues with their track saw. Uh, and they have a Makita. Uh, it wasn't a it wasn't a festival track saw, but it was a Makita. That's the first mistake. Right and there. exactly perfect. Um, <laughs> shameless plug but his his comment was he was off his cuts weren't straight with the track saw and he was seeing a deviation of between a 32nd and a 64th of an inch over a four foot span holy crap yes Jeez, and man. i was like again i'll, I'll save my, my thoughts for it but to hear their insights was was interesting uh you know a lot of it we're talking about you know i maybe take a look at the blade and then but the biggest thing that came away from it was guy got on there and he was like if, you, if you're experiencing that small of a deviation over that long of a length i really wouldn't worry about it but it was like when i heard that i'm like this is absolutely perfect to the topic mm -hmm. that we're going to discuss and how and, and there's a little bit more backstory you know he, he talks about all the things that he's tried to correct the problem, all the things that he's thought about, you know, to, to the point of like contacting Makita and finding out, you know, how to like break this thing down and realign the blade and all of this stuff. And it was really like just a, it was a reassurance to me on, on this topic and, and how I think it's something that needs to be addressed. So um, again, we'll get into that a little bit more, but I would love to hear your guys' thoughts just kind of on this topic and, and really like what it means to you. So we, we can start off with, uh, with Sedge, if you want to start. That would be what I would call 
paralysis from analysis. And I've been talking about this subject forever, even before coming to work for Festool. Uh, um, I had a cabinet shop in Fort Lauderdale. The name of the company was called Furniture PhD. And I had a business partner that I just, his name is Mikey Zeisler. And there was times when we used to have to get into it a little because we were trying to make money at it. And he would just get so paralyzed in the detail. It's needed, okay, because I'm a, I don't want to say a get or done kind of guy, but right. we needed to make money. So he, there was one time, one Saturday afternoon, I told him to leave the shop and I banged it out. I stayed till about eight at night and I banged out this big top we were doing with a drop edge on it. He came in the next morning, Sunday morning. And he goes, you nailed it. I go, Mikey, you were overthinking it. And people overthink things too much. I'm really excited that guy said that over that four-foot length or, you know, 48-inch. Here, hey, bing, imperial uh, measurement. Because if you keep dialing in that perfection, you won't get anything built. Am I, right. am I talking off the cuff on this? Because... I mean, not at all. People, no. are, pe people are afraid, even when it goes to finishing. People are so afraid of finish. You can fix just about anything in finishing, and people dread it. I love it because finish hides imperfections in some of the wood. Yeah. Dude, you can the, you can finish all my stuff. In the there's room. there's someone that said that um that the mark of a good woodworker is not someone who is flawless in their work but knows how to cover up their mistakes. Yeah, dag, daggone toot and right. My mentor showed me a desk once, and he goes, I go, and because I had looked up, and I go, look at all that Bondo. You, What's that Bondo for, Ralph? And he said, dude, you see this part of the desk? It came in, and I had to fix it. Three, uh, uh, That corner is all Bondo. So you're right, Ben. It's learning how to fix. But here's the other thing. This is the difference between a pro and an amateur. Okay, a pro won't tell you where the mistake is. An amateur points it out. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, a pro yeah, I've been there with my business. A pro <laughs> collects his money and gets the heck out of there. But there's yeah. so much stuff that you have to cover up, and that's learning how to fix your mistakes. And that's but boy, I, I've seen so many people just. They, I, I I would always ask people like, oh, uh, are you actually? cutting crown molding or are you testing your capex are you actually building something or are you still how long have you had your tracks are you still testing it build something and look right. at the results there's so many things it's like people oh god they they overthink the domino and they don't have to and even this past week people are going oh i bought this accessory because you can't do this and i showed him and he went Oh, maybe I should have listened to you or watched more videos. <laughs> every every time I see somebody mine. buying an accessory for either one of the dominoes, with the well, I'm like, why? Why do you need this? Like it exactly. has everything in the in sustainer that you need. There's nothing. Like I've had a domino for three and a half years. I have I have no third party accessories for my domino any of my festival yep. none of them and i've built every single piece of furniture in my house i've built i've never had a need for an external 
third-party accessory for my dominoes. That is absurd. Yeah. Hey, hey now. But I'm going to... I do have one. Now. There are... I have the Bigfoot from TSO, and it's great. What? Oh, okay. Yeah, I saw that in your shop when I was down there. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, Ben's right. Like, the, everything comes with it. Like, there's a lot of other gimmicky stuff that's out there that, you know, in some way, shape, or form. But, again, it's just like any other tool, you know. Uh, and, and this is kind of off topic. But it's just like any other tool. There's there's extra things that make things seem easier, more beneficial. Yeah. but Or easier. I mean, yeah. And, and well, there are some, there are some uh, different ways of looking at that because there are some accessories for the domino that you can buy, which – there are certain things that could be a benefit mm-hmm. and I'm not going to name any, any brands, yeah, I'm not either. but it, it you doesn't know, make I'm not any there's, it does not make things any easier at all. Like to me, it would make it three times harder, mm-hmm. but, um, said you made, you made a comment earlier. Um, and now I'm, I'm trying for the life of me to remember what it was, but it was something that I wanted to hit on, but I want to hear Ben's, uh, Ben's ideas on this on this whole topic. Yeah, so I, I I've been thinking about this topic pretty much for the last week because Jason and I really wanted to wait until Sedge got back from Vegas to to have it because we just didn't want to do it just the two of us. So the the main key points that I thought of are the first is that perfection is a perception, right? Um, my kids can, can come and bring me a painting that they did or some craft that they make. My middle daughter loves to sew. She has a massive sewing machine. She's only 10, but, um, but she'll bring me like this crappy looking sewn pillow. Right. And she's just not learning. So it's, but she's like, dad, you know, how much do you think I can make for this? I'm like, I mean, technically we're paying for that already, um, (laughs) in materials. And I said, well, I, Way to go, Dad. You know, I, I don't know. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see, I guess. But to her, it's perfect, right? But to somebody with money that's looking for a pillow, it's not worth anything. It's not perfect. It's got mistakes in it. And it could be an abstract pillow. <laughs> yeah. Folk, so, folk art. So, yeah. So it could be rustic. What, what one considers perfect, um, it's, it's all a matter of perception. You know, like... I, I could sit here and toil over uh, a coffee table for months um, trying to perfect every single angle, make sure that every single leg is the exact same angle, even though no one will ever know that they are exactly the same. It's just it's the perception that I have of the work going into it that makes it perfect, whereas someone else is just going to see it as a coffee table and think, oh, well, it's a coffee table, like it's good. And so I think that people that chase perfection, that they have a misrepresentation or misinterpretation of perception. And so if you find yourself like chasing perfection, like Jason said, you got to change the way you look at things. You know, for me now, like I used to be like that where I would chase the millimeter pretty much, right? Like, oh, this is off by this, you know, just how the guy was saying with the track saw even though I would never have a Makita track song. But... Um, Five bucks, no, Ben. I'm, no, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> like, I used to be like that because my perception was for me to be a good, quote-unquote, woodworker, I need to make perfect cuts. 
again, that had nothing to do with making things. It had to do with my perception of what a good woodworker was, is that every single cut had to be perfect. Well, that was a miss. Um, th that was a, a poor um, perception on my end because it did cause me to, like, take long-run projects or completely start over because this one little angle wasn't perfect. So in, instead of just, you know, looking at what I did wrong or what mistake I made and just trying to figure out a way to cope it, you know, to kind of go forward with it. Um, yeah, it, it, it's just, it's a problem of perception. And then I totally just derailed myself. Um, you know, it's like, again, you, you can spend, Jason can, can sit here and spend, you know, thousands of dollars on his, uh, on his bathroom renovation. And I've, I was there for the beginning of it. And like, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to see like, holy crap, this is a really great bathroom. Jason's going to walk in and see every single little mistake that he made. I'm not going to see those things. hundred percent. I'm not going to see that. Because, for one, I don't have the background information on, you know, what went wrong whenever he was doing it and stuff. But to me, it's an excellent bathroom. Like, now his built-in closet, that's another story. Like, I can point out. Yeah. Um, I've actually thought about ripping it all out and doing it again. No, it's, his walls are so crappy in there that that's the whole reason. But anyways, but again, it's all about the perception of it, right? What we perceive to be imperfect. And... Nothing is ever going to be quote unquote perfect because again, it's about the way that you look at it. Um, yeah, like it's you know the the way that I th see things now, the way that I see perfection now. To me, perfection is whenever I make something, whether that's uh, furniture, uh, content, a video, whatever. If it doesn't, if I'm not making more problems at the end, then it's perfect for me. As long as I don't have to correct anything after it's quote unquote done, or you know, whenever I look at it, as long as I didn't make a, a like a really dumb decision, like I misspelled a word or something, because that's just an oversight. It's not about perfection. I just didn't pay attention. But like, like I love making videos. I love making movies, and like I can go back and watch some of my old videos and be like, oh, I, you know, I've. I could have made this shot look a little bit better. I could have used this word instead of that word on an article. But at the end of the day, it's like, but that's that was my level of skill at the time that I made it, and that's what it is. Like, it's that imperfection, quote-unquote, is just a representation of what my skill level was the time that I made it. You know, I can go back and look at things and be like, okay, next time I need to do this because I feel like I could have done it better. And so instead of like, just getting caught up in the moment, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm just going to make the next one better. I'm not going to worry about this one right now. Hmm. So that's my perception. So I think there, 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 there are two topics, two that stand out to me the most that I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into. And one is how this relates to tools and the setup of tools. And this is what I was talking about. Said you made a comment. Um, oh, I'm sorry. When, when you were kind of... And the last thing is expectations. I think that's the other thing too. Like, if your expectations are not in the right place, then you're going to be chasing perfection. Yeah, that, no, that's a good point. Um, <laughs> the comment that you made, Sedge, was talking about, you know, paralysis by over analysis and like identifying every little thing. So, 
Tools is one, and, and I'm gonna start that one off. And I think the other one is how it relates to actual woodworking. And so when it comes to the tools, the reason I bring this up is because, said you said, build something and see how it turns out. And I am not one of those people, um, and, and you guys can share with me if you are, when I get a new tool and I put that thing together, I'll pull out the, the square, you know, I'll, I'll pull out my level, I'll do all that stuff, make sure it's, it's good. Really quick check, bandsaw, perfect example. The new Harvey bandsaw I got, yep. put that thing together, <clears throat> made sure that the table is 90 degrees to the blade, made sure the fence was 90 degrees to the table, and I just used a square. And that was the extent of my test that I did. I set it up, I locked everything down, it's 90, based on the square, all that stuff, good to go. I will build projects, and until I notice a problem, I don't worry about it, right? Right. And if I, there's people, okay, here's a really, really good example, and this has happened a lot lately. I believe it was Daryl Peart. Um, he has a hammer combo machine, joiner planer combo. I think he's got the, the 31 or the 41, the same one I have. And he did an article talking about, or a video talking about how the beds are not, the outfeed side is slightly, I can't even tell you the, the thousandths of an inch, slightly lower than the top of the cutter head. And it's designed that way on purpose because it is to establish a spring joint, right? Yep. And in Europe, that is a very common building trade. In the spring joint, there's a lot of benefits to having a spring joint, mm -hmm. right? So I cannot tell you, when he did that, and he was talking about like how to go about, I think he was talking about how you can go about adjusting it. And I got so many messages from people and some of them angry. And it was like, did you know about this? And I'm like, yeah, I knew about it. You know what I mean? I mean, if you're going to make that big of a purchase, um, I want to try to know, you know, as much information as possible. And I'm going to do a lot of research on it. <clears throat> but multiple messages from people angry about it. And they own the machine or they were thinking about buying the machine. And some of the people I asked them, and this is not to disparage anybody that might listen to this podcast that had this conversation with me. It's just to use it as an example. But you know, asking what I, how I feel about it. Have I noticed any, any problems with it and all this stuff? And I'm like, no, I've never noticed it to be yep. any sort of issue whatsoever yep. at all. And because of that, I've never even checked to see if, you know, people getting out a straight edge and putting it on, on an infeed and outfeed on a joiner or planer and finding these tiny little spots where it's not perfectly flat. It's like, it's, it's, cast iron, right? There's going to be differences. And until you notice a problem, why worry yourself about it? That's correct. Because now you are putting this idea in your head that there is something wrong with it. So if you don't get the perfect results, when in all actuality, if I was to do something on a joiner or planer, depending on the length of the board and I was having issues, one of the last things that I would think is that there's something wrong with the machine unless it was an issue of like maybe jointing an edge and I wasn't getting 90. First thing I would do is I would check the fence because that's my reference. But anything else, it's probably something I'm doing wrong. Um, and I'm not saying that's the case with everybody, but that's the first thing I would check. I wouldn't check the machine. And so for me, I don't spend hours on end trying to get something within, you know, 
three one thousandths of an inch. And there's people out there that are doing that. And it's like, think of all of the time that you're spending trying to correct that problem. When if you just made the cut and realized it may not be that big of a deal. Now there are certain things I think, and we'll talk about this more in the, in the woodworking side of it. But when it comes to the machine, you know, my Capex, there's been a couple of times where I've made cuts on this thing and I'm like, this isn't right. It's not lining up. I'm not getting a 90 degree cut. And why was that? Well, it's because there's been a couple of times where I banged into it and dislodged it a little bit. And what did I do? I took two seconds to reset everything, test to cut. I'm 90, good enough. I check it on a square and I continue to build and I have no problems. But this you know, idea of I need to make sure this tool is absolutely perfect before I make a single cut, why? The, the things that you're doing may not be a problem, you know? And, and here's the other thing too. I feel like the higher brand tool that you come into or that you start purchasing, the less likely it is that you're gonna have to do much of anything when you take it out of the box. And that has been my experience. Um, I set my saw stop up and I have not made a single adjustment to that saw stop since I did it. Why? Because I don't, I don't even need to. You because know, you're I, getting, I, you know what I mean? you're getting a great result. I, I think right. that's I think that what you should get. I think that there are some people out there that will look towards everything else for mistakes in their shops besides themselves. Like the guy that that had the the ridiculous, you know, off cut of however much it was over four feet, whatever it was. Like that, that's just that is asinine. Like if. Like if you're if you're after that much precision, just do everything in CAD and never make anything for the rest of your life. Like if you want absolute perfection, make a 3D rend, uh, model of it, a rendition, a digital render of it. That's about mm -hmm. as close as perfection as you're gonna get. There are too mm -hmm. many, uh, you know, like deviances in production that are, are are gonna cause that. But again, it's like, well, let me, <clears throat> and it's just not. Let me play. Let, let me play devil's advocate to that for one sec. I, I agree with you, first of all, 100%. But think about it like this. If people are paying top dollar for tools, and I'm going to go for full circle on this. If people are paying top dollar for tools, what do they expect? They expect that top quality cut. However, the tool doesn't cut the, the material for you without <coughs> setting, being set up in some, some way, shape, or form. And when I think of that, that specific example, um, think about it. One thirty-second to one sixty-fourth over four feet. You know what that boils down to? You know what my first thought was? What what pencil are you marking your lines with? Mm -hmm. And if you're setting up a track over yeah. a four-foot space, maybe you split the line on one and you touch the line on the other. Exactly. Guess what? At four feet, you're going to have a thirty-second or a sixty-fourth. So. Even if you, you do, uh, use parallel guides, if they're not both perfectly in alignment with each other, and that is where human error comes into play, and you start questioning whether or not the accuracy of the tool and everything else. And so, while I do agree with you 100%, Ben, I just I kind of wanted to, to share that other perspective because um, it, it does it is a valid point that you know you're bringing human error into it. But for something so small, that could be a multitude of things. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead, Sedge. And you know what? You're talking about it's not always the tool. Okay. It could be human error, but a lot of the times people say, oh, I have square stock. It's the material. You know, uh, there's something wrong. I'm trimming and I I get this with, uh, I'll just use an instance, the MFK. I'm running the MFK 700 with a 1.5 degree base across, you know, a six foot uh, pantry. Uh, I'm trimming the banding, and it's starting to dig in. So I would always go in my head, okay, so I know his machine's set up okay. Okay? Uh, I would say, hey, do you think you might be in a wavering your pressure on the MFK? But more so, do you know there's there's inconsistency on that plywood? And if you measure it across the board, okay... It's 18 millimeter here. It could dip down to 17.5, you know? So a lot of the times, it's like even with the Capex or any slide compound might have saw. Oh, my fence is out of whack. It's not the fence. It's your board. It's not jointed right. So I always say, hey, you got to go. I always call out, say it's the three. Machine, user, material. Yeah. Okay, so... I just wanted to make that point because I know you guys are talking no, about user sure. error, but sometimes and, it's material error. You know, and, and like when I hear that, Jason, it's like, it's like, like I, I really hope that people are robbing themselves of the enjoyment of the, of the process of building that you're chasing. Uh, that. You know, yep. like, like I'm so glad you said that. Like I was, that was the biggest reason I wanted to do so this. So <laughs> one one of my most favorite things to do is by far my most favorite festival is the HL850 planer. I love that thing. I <laughs> love it. Like, All right. Like I'm, I'm not near my festivals right now so that I can say this because they won't hear me, but the HL850, that's my favorite. But I, I have a stack of just old uh, white oak firewood that's just – it was there from last season. I, I never used it. I was walking by it today. I was like, man, I really just want to take one of these things and just go play with the planer. Like, because I have the bench unit, I have the angle unit, I have all of the accessories for the HL850. And I was like, man, I just want to go, like, make some passes on some firewood. Like, just to see if I can make a square piece of stock, you know? Have you done a video on that yet, Ben? Uh, what, on HL850? No. Oh, my God. Please do it. Please, I love, God, I just love thing, do it. Go through, he, go he through loves everything. That planer, but I think he loves his motorcycle. Oh my God, just oh, do it. I do love that. That is a that is an unsung hero at festival. I love that. That thing. thing's bad to the bone. Okay, Such a cool piece. I used I used it for the first time on the yeah bike. on your studs. That's right. Yeah, I love it. Oh thing. yeah. Sorry, I derailed us. Um, and, and I'm sorry. But no, back back to the enjoyment. Like, like, well, Thanks a lot, Sedge. Whatever. Whatever. I don't know, man. Like, I, I mean, granted, I'm, I'm not a professional anymore. I, I don't do this for, uh, you know, I don't make pieces to get paid anymore. I just do it whenever I want to, like if I want to enjoy something. And like, you know, like Jason, you were talking about the, the combo, the uh, Jordan Player combo that you have. You know, 
I'm going to check square and that's it. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know, man. Like I just can't imagine toiling away at a tool trying to get absolute perfection because it's like, what are the tolerances that were, that it were, it was built for, you know, like, right. like think of the M16. Okay. Whenever the United States or maybe it was the department of defense, you know, set out the contract, they said, Hey, we want a, a rifleman's weapon that is capable of hitting 18 inches shoulder to shoulder. We need uh, six out of nine rounds to hit shoulder to shoulder. So within an 18 inch radius, we need six out of nine bullets to hit that at 600 yards. That's what we need. And so when all these different companies made the weapons, they made it that was that were within those tolerances. And so I'm I would imagine that whenever companies are manufacturing whatever it is, you know, that depends on a squareness of a cut or a plane, whatever it is, I'm pretty sure that when they go to their engineers, they're not saying, hey, we need laser precision. Like, no, we need something that can be made square or coplane within yep. these tolerances. And so for some guy to like, or anybody to chase it, you know, who's to say that you're chasing something that is not even physically capable or possible within the tolerances of whatever your equipment is like I, I like i'm not trying to you know crap on brands but a cobalt um miter saw is made with like way larger tolerances than a capex is and i know that from personal experience like i had one of those cheap capex miter saws you bought from a big box store there's nothing that you could do to get that thing to cut square nothing at all but it's because it was made cheaply it was made under pretty broad tolerances and it's just i'm not going to get consistent results so it's just, can i can i comment on on that real no quick? you can't Ooh. No, I, I think it's a good opportunity for some I'm people joking. listening <laughs> no i i like that you i like that you brought that up because i don't think a lot of people understand that um is you know tolerances is directly associated with cost of a tool and a really 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 good example of that would be powermatic and jet it's essentially the exact same tool however one is sold at a slower price point and the reason why that one is sold at a lower price point but is essentially the same tool is because the tolerances on it are much more lenient loose and they do that exactly much more loose and they do that in order for them to bring the cost of production down so um ben brought that up i just when he when he said that i was like man that'd actually be a a really good you know point of discussion because i i don't think a lot of people truly understand that they're like well why would i buy the powermatic when i buy the jet well you're not buying the same tool it's the same tool kind of but it ain't the same tool i I wish I could take you guys to our manufacturing lines in Nidlingen, uh, Germany. Yeah, be I do too. Because I will. Hey, we ought to do a podcast from there. We should. Uh, I mean, my wife is German. Guten Tag. But I will tell you the, the attention to detail and the attention to the tightest of tolerances that we have uh, is amazing. And do we is does it cost more? Absolutely. Yeah, because the labor is much more oh, intensive. Oh my god! But it's just it's amazing. I don't want to talk too much about that, but um, 
maybe someday I can loosen up and talk a lot more about it. But I'm going to tell you, it's I've been in that factory probably about a dozen times. And every time I they have to drag me out of there because I just want to sit there and watch right. them the the different processes, and we're always tweaking processes to um, like changeovers and stuff like that. It's amazing. Uh, right. It's just an amazing process. But boy, uh, we have a it's a very high quality tool that you're getting, and some people yeah. pick it apart, and I just kind of chuckle at it. Um, so I don't want to go into too much festival because I know we're, we're talking about stuff. But Ben, I'm going to tell you something that was really cool when you were talking about tolerances in the M16. Is that the name of the gun? Is that the name of the weapon? Yeah. Whenever whenever the Department of Defense put contracts out back in the they they started in the late 60s, but the contracts hit in the late seven or in the mid 70s. Um, cool. Because you know, for standard riflemen in the Army. You qualify the max range that you qualify your weapon at is 300 meters. Well, the weapon can shoot at 600 meters. Like there are greater tolerances. It's just it's more of the the broad skill level of most recruits whenever they come in. Like when mm-hmm. I um, when I was trained on marksmanship for are you good, Jason? You got a fly in there? Yeah, Jason. Oh, what's happening, his, man? He's got his headphones off. You good? Yeah, I'm sorry. I, was that a butterfly? There's like, there like this constant like bang, 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 bang outside. And it's been going on for like 10 minutes. So I'm like, what is that? No. Sorry. But no, but but point being it's is that people think that, or at least that are in the Army, that the M16 or the M4 can only shoot up to 300 meters. It's accurate up to 600. Just people can't uh, see that far. Wow. Unless you're an infantryman. <laughs> it's funny i'm surprised i'm surprised cab scouts can't see that far sitting on top of a horse <laughs> oh my god hey so the, you know, let's let's segue into the next part so the other part i wanted to talk about is how this all relates to woodworking and i think there's a couple of important things to consider here there are certain instances where absolute perfection is important and especially when you're talking about angles you know mm-hmm. if, if you want to if you want to build a nice picture frame like you've got to have perfect 45s um, and a little bit of a little bit of time and setup and effort um, I mean you can build a very simple jig to do stuff like that you know segmented bowls that those kind of things you know those are all important but here's a really easy common example which I think all three of us can talk to and, and that's the squareness of a cabinet Right, and while it is really, really, really important and helpful for you to build a square box, is an ab- is it an absolute necessity? No, it's not. Depending on the type of cabinet you're building, and so for me, you know, people are like, so you build it, you build a cabinet, you take your big square and you like put it up in the corner, and it's slightly off if i do that i don't care like it means nothing to me right i'm like now if it's way off then i'm like okay something is clearly wrong but it all goes back to like if you have your tools set up properly and you're confident in your tools and you're confident in your abilities as a woodworker if you make the cuts properly and you get everything square this stuff's going to be square when you assemble it unless you do something crazy to change that and so if i put a square in there and it's not absolutely 100 percent perfectly square I'm not gonna let it worry me so much. 
in most instances. But people get so wrapped around the axle of like, I'm building a cabinet, it has to be square. Does it? You know, like, if you're building face frame cabinets, I don't care how out of whack your box is. The face frame will make it square. Scribing is so much more important than squareness when it comes to cabinets. A hundred percent, right? Exactly. So, and so much more important. So it, it's it just it blows my mind. Now, if you're building inset doors and and drawer fronts in a cabinet, a frameless cabinet, then yes, I will agree with you. It is vitally important. However, can you still get by without it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you can figure it out. Come and on. I think people get people get very nervous and wrapped around the axle about those things. They chase this you know total perfection if you make your cuts and as you're making the cuts you're checking if, if i if i cut a panel and i measure from corner to corner the first one the way that i typically work in my workflow you know let's say i'm building uh, the vanity really good example all the side panels were all the same height they were all the same depth right every single one all six of them that i needed i cut my first one i tested it it was square I didn't touch anything after that. I didn't check anything because I have confidence in my tools because the first one that I cut was right. If I cut that first one wrong, I would identify what the problem is. I would fix it if need be, which nine times out of 10, there is no need, right? And that's not like to toot my own horn. That's just because if it works and you have everything set up and it worked on the last one, why would it work on this one? And then I go about my business. I'll always check the first piece of any multiple cuts that I need to do. If that's good, I run with it. If I make a cut and it's wrong, then I look into it. I don't come out to the shop and it's like, okay, I have a new project I'm going to build. I'm going to build a vanity. Let me take one entire day to go through every single one of my tools and ensure that everything is perfectly square. Why would I do that if the tools last time gave me good results? Does that make sense? Yeah. I think the only caveat is if you bang it, like if you drop it or something like that. Right. That's the only time. But then I make that first cut. Yeah. I make that first cut. I notice a, a deficiency and, and, and then I'll adjust from there. Yes, Sedge. I got a question for you. Have you ever seen a drywall installer uh, use a machinist square when he's putting a corner bead or uh, taping, uh -huh. taping a corner? No. They definitely did it in my house because they're all perfect. Right. So when it comes to boxes, my business, remember I told you, Mikey, my business partner, analysis, uh, paralysis. He was checking square, and I did frameless cabinet. We did frameless cabinet. He was checking square one time. I go, Mikey, wait till I bend that into the corner. Hundred percent. I'm so glad you mentioned. Okay, that, right? so it, 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 you were you, setting the base. You, you guys got to remember, and and well, I, everybody, listener, please, please understand this. Jason made a killer point. I very rarely measure a cab square. It's going to end up. If your machines are set up right, okay, to square, okay, like when I'm doing squares now, when I'm doing when I'm cross cutting for cabs now, I'm on my MFT three. I know that's dead on uh, square. Uh, I could show you a ton of ways of making sure it's square. But long story short, like I say every podcast now, <laughs> uh, you're gonna have to scribe anyhow. And walls are not straight, um, you know, and you have to. I've taken cabinets and just tweak them. It's going to go way, not way out of square, but you're going to have to, I always say, bend it in. Or you, when you put take your impact and put uh, set your uh, 
screws into your studs as you install, it's going to take it out of square anyhow. Scribing is oh, yeah. the art of your filler strips. And Jason, I saw you use those user scribes. Aren't those sweet? Uh, they're awesome. I've got them right here. Oh, and no. I actually, they're I ordered a set. That guy. So when you when you come this weekend, I'll give you these ones back. That guy, that guy who invented them. And when I see people invent things like that and then market them, that guy knows. I always forget his name. That guy knows his stuff. He's been in the trenches. He knows what's going on. He goes, you know, and uh, installing. Now I'm going to make one more point about. You said something about inset doors, and in class we did face frames. Okay, and someone says it's not square. I go, oh, yeah. But you have to have a consi- face frame will be okay. But okay, <laughs> on the face frame, he, they were taking squares and they were putting them in after we cut everything on the capex. And I go, hey, it's square. And I go, if your machines are set up properly, it's going to yeah. do, do that. But you always and going way back, what you said about the capex, people bump into things. Okay, so right. you always check it, especially on the bevel when you're cutting square. Okay, and guess what? If it right. isn't square, that's why you have a hand plane to tweak the door and no one's going to know. Okay, good. So I am done getting on. I'm going to step down from my soapbox. My only caveat to the, to the whole conversation is, like, you know, if I were to, to, to talk to the guy that was, you know, asking about um, – you know, being whatever it was, a 32nd off over four feet. I guess my only question to him would be, are you still enjoying it? Uh-huh. If his answer is yes, then it's like, knock yourself out, dude. Like, go ahead and chase it. Like, you do you, boo. Do you. Right? But if his answer is like, no, this is frustrating, I'm like, what the hell are you doing? You know, if, if, if you're frustrated by it, why are you doing it? Why are you doing this? You know, like, but again, like if, if you enjoy that thing, like maybe the rest of his life is just totally chaotic and this is his only way to like gain some semblance of control or, you know, like, um, predictability in his life, more power to you, man. Like maybe it does something for him. It scratches some kind of an itch, but if it doesn't, if you're getting frustrated by it, maybe you're fighting an uphill battle. And you just got to mm-hmm. kind of let it go. Well, I kind of wanted to examine uh, to close to close out the conversation is is that experience. We talked about it briefly. Um, I mean, there's so many different things about that. Like, think about it, right? It's a track saw. It's riding on a track that has a cut plastic, you know, guard that you align on a line. And unless you're either one, your track is completely loose or two, it's not clamped down. And as you're pushing it, you're moving the track. Nothing is going to change. It is riding on a track. And so it was just funny because when I listened to some of the things, none of those things were things I was thinking about. I would have never considered a blade being an issue. I would have never considered, because if it's, if it's cutting on the line, it's cutting on the line. I would consider, I, immediately I was like, well, it's you know human error. Maybe you're pushing it, it's not clamped down, and you're sliding it slightly. Maybe because it will pivot as you move it, right? And that blade is pinched between pieces of wood. Maybe you're, you're, the, the pencil you're using is too thick, and you're not lining up the, the lines properly. And it's just, 
it's just kind of mind-boggling to me that that something so small like that is something that people are chasing you know this absolute perfection and i just i can't imagine like you know at one one sixty-fourth of an inch over four. and again this is not to disparage i'm actually glad that we got to talk about the same topic um not that he probably listens to this podcast at least yet but it's just kind of mind-boggling to me that, that you know people obsess that much about things um especially with certain tools like that. And there, there's just not certain things that we're considering. So I just thought it was interesting. I, I listened to that podcast the other day. And I'm like, holy cow, this could not have come at a better time. Right. Can we can we talk about something real quick? Go ahead. Let's hear I it. I need to get your guys' opinions. Go Nicole ahead. Talked, Nicole listened to the first podcast. Yep. What'd she say? She said she really liked it. It was great. But oh God, here's we, the big but. Here we go. On... The segment, the YouTube hates Jason, or the world hates Jason. She doesn't agree with it totally. What? And she also says, she understands why we're doing it, but she also says the voice is stupid. Yeah, but that's what makes it funny. I know, she didn't think it was very funny. She's Nicole, and we're not. Ooh. Oh, shots fired. Hear what Ben said? Well, I do have two comments. I love you, Nicole. I do, I do have. I love you too, Nicole. Sedge was no part of this conversation. Zero. It was just Ben and Jason. Zero point zero. So I, I do have two comments. Matt, believe it or not, I actually had a very hard time finding these. Tonight, I'm going to try these in just a regular somewhat condescending voice and what do you want us to do with it jason because i'm not gonna i'm not gonna make my commentary that i did last time would you are we nothing okay okay i mean you guys can okay, give, fine. you guys can fine. give your opinions fine yeah just don't say anything ben just shut your I mouth will. Ooh, so hold on hold on i need my intro then everyone, everyone hates, hates jason. jason i love that thank you, thank you. I especially like how you'll slow it down or how you did slow it down. I'll reverb it. Reverb. Yep. Auto-tuned. Okay. First one, I have two. I'm just going to read two. And these were like two weeks ago. I haven't had any uh, really weird comments. Um, Okay. So this is the first one. This I actually think is funny. It's the how to install Bloom under under Mount Door Slides, which has been a great video for me in terms of feedback. That's It it was like... Yeah, it was, it was a great video. Like, people have been like, man, this video is great. This guy writes. Again, I'm not going to say the name out of respect to the person. But, he writes, a bit deceptive. <laughs> I don't even know if I can read this. <laughs> a bit deceptive of full description as the undermount is actually screwed into the sides of the cabinet. <laughs> what? No which is, way. Hold on. I'm not done. No way. Which is not which is not what I want. I want them attached to the bottom. That was a real comment. Jason, you need to write a you need to write a formal letter letter to Bloom telling them that they have they they've they have misled the public that? into the naming conventions of their products. I it mean, should I, be the side mount res- drawer mounts, not the undermount. Yeah, the the side the side mount drawers, the, the the drawer slides that do mount to the side of the cabinet, however, attach underneath, underneath the drawer. Yeah, that would be which is what the name more, is. Jeez. More clear. Come on, man. Okay, here's here's another one. This is on the uh, 
the track square comparison video that I did, also another good video. This guy says, this guy is full of it, saying everybody asked him to check out track squares. I sure as hell did not ask him. <laughs> hey, Jason, my mom didn't ask you to do it, so yeah. you're, you're pretty much wrong. Wow. Hey, <clears throat> do you respond to those, Jason? No, I, I don't. I, I used to. I used to like, I used to actually, when people would write, you know, negative or rude comments, I would actually write back and say, you know, thank you for your perspective, whatever. But now I'm just to the point where I just, I just don't bother with it because in, in all, in all fairness, you can never understand or truly capture what somebody is trying to say via text. Mm -hmm. They, the, he may have wrote that comment and not meant anything negative by it. Maybe. I, I mean, that's total BS. Cause I know that he, he did, but I'm sorry. I wrote it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I try not to, I, I try not to respond at this point because I just don't care. You know, now I'm really glad that I'm still getting some of these ridiculous comments uh, so I can read them on here. And this gives me an opportunity to vent. But I got to be honest with you, Ben, without without me being able to be completely uncensored. I just don't know how I feel about it, because what I really wanted to say would have made this a not so family friendly podcast. Mm. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, like you just said it, like like there is so much context that is lost in in the written word, especially in a you know a one sentence <clears throat> response, and like for whatever reason that that person that individual you know got some kind of gratification out of writing that. So, you mm -hmm. know, when when someone when someone takes the time to post a negative comment on any video that is only an indication of what is going on inside of them. And mm -hmm. for someone to take the time to post something negative about a video that someone took time to make and, you know, construct and everything, like, I would really hate to be that person. You know, someone Good that has point. that much vitriol and hatred inside themselves. So, like, whenever I get comments like that on my videos, I ask them the most asinine question. Like, hey, what's your favorite condiment, mayonnaise or mustard? <laughs> that's good that's good i always you know, say just, thanks for sharing just ask them just the most dumbest questions because like if they're someone that's really a part of your audience they're going to come back and respond and if they're just like some stupid passerby you've just created another like level of engagement in your video like it's only going to help you the thing that just absolutely blows my mind about this whole thing and this this is a topic for another show but it's just like how dare you like the 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 gall that you have to be mad at me for my free content that I put out online for other people, or you know what I mean? Could, Just like you could ask them, like, "Hey, what was the name of the person that held a gun to your head when you watched this video?" Like, tell me, yeah, well, tell me who forced you to watch it. The other thing to remember that could be just some twelve-year-old kid. That just wants to prank you. You don't know. Can you I go and know. look who they are? I always get a kick out of when someone says something negative. I, 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 sometimes on Instagram, I go and look at their account. Oh, it's private, so you can go and say anything right. you want. But that's okay. That's their bag, baby. That's not my bag. And I, I, just, I always try to think positive about life and just, yeah, that's you know you what? If, 
if you don't have and my dad and my mom taught me this if you don't have anything nice to say do not say it yeah okay so and and i just and i'll i'll end with that because i just think people and you don't know what's going on in their life and they just they're unloading on you yeah they're unloading on you and it's okay hurt people hurt people yeah i don't know why it's mind-boggling words are sharper than blades but you know what jason i'm glad that you you know you've you voiced your concerns and your your frustrations among friends because we can we can be the ones that tell you the truth and and say you straight and everybody and that, does and say that that everybody was the does most, hate Jason that was that <laughs> nobody did ask you Jason to make that video no one asked you to make a comparison so they're right <laughs> yeah <laughs> except that is not true at all no I know now okay. now everybody keeps asking me to finally do the damn parallel guides. It's coming soon, people. We talked about that like soon. a year ago, Jason. It's I know, God. <laughs> Jeez, man. It's ridiculous. I mean, but don't get me wrong. Like, you know me. I don't want to just take on something and then like, oh, I'm just going to do a video because it's a video. Like, I want to be able to use the products and have a good feel for all of them. Like the the track saw is a perfect example. The festival one. Um, that video will be coming out this Friday, but. I'm not just going to do a fly-by-night video on a tool that I got that I haven't truly tested. And, you know, I'm going to get. Yeah, it. I think that's and a I think I've done a, Yeah, I think I've done a really good job of keeping an audience that that truly values what I have to say, and I've worked very hard to do that because I don't take every opportunity that comes my way. So, you know, I want to make sure I give everything. A fair <clears throat> but again, that's that's beside the point. All right, let's go ahead. Jason, yes. I like your videos. Hey, thank you. So You're much. welcome, baby. Do you have a YouTube channel? <laughs> I do. Oh, okay. I'll have to subscribe to it. If you, when we get off this, if you could send me a text with your channel name, I'll take a look when I get time. Oh, that hurt. <laughs> Maybe when I'm going to the bathroom. Sedge tools. It's funny. Oh, okay. Perfect. I say the same thing when I go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Just kidding. All right, uh, so we'll go ahead and close this out. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, and by always, I mean our first two episodes. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, if you guys want to support the channel, you can go over to patreon.com. Uh, check out the Green Suiters podcast. We just have one tier over there. Uh, if you guys are interested in helping out, it will just help cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. Uh, and if you want to find out more about myself, you can find me uh, at Ben's Woodworking on Instagram, Ben's Woodworking more on YouTube, or Ben's Woodworking.com. Ben, where can we find you? And on Instagram at Ben Marshall Designs and YouTube at Ben Marshall Designs. Sedge? At Sedge Tool on YouTube, SedgeTool.com, Sedge Tool on TikTok, Sedge Tool on Facebook. Dude, I got a couple. Uh, I got a couple oh, hits there. No. I have a mi- a million uh, a million views. Uh, let's see. Also, you can follow me at. Uh, Are you serious? Tool Sedge on Instagram, dude. I get like we get about like twenty videos up there, and a couple of them are over a million. No, Sedge, you're lying. He's viral. I'm going to look right now. I don't believe you. Oh yeah, man. I've been TikToking for this is five months, baby. Really? Absolutely. No Absolutely. TikTok works, guys. It's another line in the another line in the water. But yep. Come follow. Come follow all of us, guys. 
this Green Suit Is podcast is awesome. I couldn't wait to talk with you tonight. And, oh, yeah. $25,000. Jeez. Man, big deal. So if you guys have questions, because uh, we do want to start, you know, taking some of your guys' questions and topics on some of these shows periodically. So, you know, feel free to send them out Holy to the Green crap, Suiters Sedge. podcast on Instagram, or you can send myself, Sedge, or Ben a direct message. Uh, and we will be glad to take those comments and or questions. So if you guys don't have anything else, I think we'll go ahead and shut this one off. <laughs> Sounds yeah. good. Good. Thanks, right. everybody. All right. See you guys next time. See you next time.